night this weekend. We got a chance to see some fun, fun movies, and uh, it was a really good time. But more importantly, this past Sunday was the one-year anniversary of Geek Rex as a website, and that was totally a, a fun, exciting, awesome, wonderful day. Had a lot of well-wishers come and say some very nice things to us, and uh, on our Facebook page, we shared some articles that uh, were some of our favorites, and Shane, man, I, I, I was going to have you do something like that, but darn it, you're not on Facebook anymore, so I'm, I couldn't get you to do it. <laughs> Um, so Shane, what was your favorite article you've ever written for Geek Rex, just for the record? Uh, kind of put me on the spot there. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Think about it. Um, I, I don't know if I could think of a specific one off the top of my head, but I really, um, I'm really proud of, uh, the way the splash page has grown from like this little thing, goofy thing that I was doing to being something everybody contributes to. Um, you know, also what I really like, something you've written, is the uh, confessions of a movie theater employee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess I could mention that. I don't know. Sometimes, like, I get excited for those, and then I get them out, and I feel less confident about them once I have them out. Ah, uh, they're lovely pieces. They really are, and that's not, you know, uh, uh, brown-nosing at all. I, I think they're, they're, they're a lot of fun, especially the poem from Last Christmas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, it was, it was great. It was, it, was, it was a good time, and uh, that, it was just a fun way to spend Sunday, and I spent Sunday celebrating by watching uh, Game of Owns, as I like to call it <laughs> around here, um, and catching up with some one of my favorite shows on TV. So that was a lot of a lot of fun too. Um, so you know, I want to catch up with you guys really quickly, Shane. What what's new in your world this past week? Um, I've been trying to read a bunch of catch up on my reading. That's that's one thing teaching does to you. You don't have time to read for pleasure anymore. Yeah, sure, sure. That well, that's about all I had time to read. Yeah. <laughs> Cal, my friend, what's new? Mostly just a whole lot of writing. Yeah, no kidding. You've been uh, quite prolific over the uh, the course of the past couple of weeks, especially, man. Uh, got uh, a lot of comics reviews and and some TV and film stuff going on. So that's that's pretty it's pretty pretty exciting. I I had a chance to read your review of a certain film we saw this weekend too, and I enjoyed reading that. So it's nice, uh, n- n- good stuff, man. Um, anything anything else new going on beyond that? No, honestly, I, uh, I've been traveling so much on the weekends. I had a whole weekend in my apartment. I went stir crazy. I just wrote like 5,000 words. <laughs> Wait, so how was the vacation, by the way? It was great. I, uh, never, I've never really driven through Virginia, Maryland, that area. It's gorgeous. Um, found a new favorite drink, which is nice. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, no, I had a really good time. Nice. That's that's excellent. Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm originally from Virginia. I don't know if you know that, but no, I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Virginia Beach uh, is uh, my old hometown. So that's it's 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 a fine state. I don't. I'm actually flying up there next week to spend some time in Arlington for work. So it's uh, yeah. Fun, fun times in, in, the, in the state for lovers, apparently. Um, <laughs> at Harper, you had a very busy weekend, probably more busy than anyone I know, catching a lot of movies at the Atlanta Film Festival. Um, you and I spent some time together prior to, I think, but how many days were you at the festival for? Uh, I, I got a pass for my birthday from, from my wife this year. Uh, second year in a row I've done that. So I, I was seeing stuff um, from... Last Sunday until this past Saturday, I was seeing stuff um, almost every day, which is really fun, but uh, a little exhausting. And uh, 
the you know getting into the movies was free, but the concessions were were not. So I spent way more than I probably should have last week. So wait, how, how much? How many films did you see per day? Just one per day, two per day? Uh, most of the time, one per day. I saw, there was one or two times I saw saw two things, or, or I saw like some shorts, and then went and saw a movie later or something like that. <laughs> so okay, yeah. Tell me some of the highlights that you saw, though, like of, of your favorite films at the Atlanta Film Festival. What's what you uh, looking out for? Well, um, I've, I've got a couple reviews coming out this week um, of some stuff I really enjoyed. Uh, Metalhead, an Icelandic movie about a about a girl who kind of grows up in, uh, deep into metal music, which was really, really good and kind of a nice surprise. Um, and uh, I got a chance to see The Raid 2 on Saturday night, which was phenomenal. Um, I, I was just working on the review for that earlier today, so that was, that was a real blast. But um, the highlight for... All film festivals for me is always the shorts because um, you never get to see them anywhere else. Um, and, and I'm a I'm a person who's made shorts myself, so I always really enjoy getting to see those. Yeah, that's that that's tremendous. Um, yeah, I'm really interested in the raid too. I, I may have an opportunity to see it very soon. So uh, I've never seen the first one. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, I, I haven't. Shame on. I think we've had this conversation before, but that movie even came to Tuscaloosa. So. <laughs> I don't know. I just missed it. I it it. Uh, I'm I'm not like a huge action movie guy, which is so hilarious considering the the things we write about on the side. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I don't see action movies very often. But and that's the one I know everybody said you have to see. It's so insane yeah. the action and. I, I never went and saw it. Um, I think I can rent it on Amazon Prime for like a buck now, so I might do that. It's at least worth the dollar. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, Harper, is it something that like people can go in cold and see without having seen the first one? I think you probably could. Um, I mean, there's there's some rewarding stuff that it kind of pays off in the second one that uh, you know is a better if you kind of know these characters. But the story in the first one is, is so paper thin that you could you could totally read the one sentence synopsis of, of the first one and go into the second one. Fine. Doesn't the second one start like five minutes after the first one? Yeah. Pretty, pretty immediate. <laughs> wow. That's crazy, man. I, I know that was one of uh, Cal's like most anticipated movies. That's so. why I, I wouldn't have even thought about it when I saw the name, but I, I thank you very much for that Cal. Cause it was fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed. I look forward to catching it myself. I hope it hit, I hope it comes to a theater near you sometime, Cal. Um, it, uh, <laughs> it might be there for like a week, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to have to go to uh, Columbus to see that one, but that's okay because I'm also getting to go to Columbus soon to see uh, 2001 in 70 millimeter. Wow. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. It's on my birthday, too. Man. Awesome. Oh, it's, oh, Meanwhile, I'm still waiting for Grand Budapest Hotel to show up. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, when's your birthday, Cal? Uh, August 28th. Okay, I'll have to remember that. Uh, I hope it I shows. Thieves, take note. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, yeah, my father's finally going to go see Grand Budapest Hotel. It finally came to Savannah, Georgia. So um, still not in Decatur or even Huntsville. So okay. I don't know. I, I, as you heard on the previous podcast, hopefully, um, that is a film well worth seeing, by the way. Um, well, I'm glad you had a good time at the film festival, Harper. I don't spend much time there, honestly, um, because it's just, it never falls on a time that's like good for me to get to it. But, um, it, you know, I, I always hate when I miss something interesting and good there. Like the last time I went, I saw Moon 
at the film festival. Mm. Uh, Moon and 500 Days of Summer. Those were the big ones a couple years back, three years back. But, uh, yeah, every year it sounds like they have something nice that I should try and catch. So next year, maybe I'll go with you uh, (laughs) if I can manage it. You know, and I hear the plaza is looking a lot better these days, too. So, Yeah. yeah, with the new seats and everything else. All right, so... Let's talk about the fun movie that came out this weekend. Uh, this is a sequel to Captain America the First Avengers. Captain America the Winter Soldier, the latest entry in the <laughs> mega franchise that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't even I, mean, I don't even know if I can call that a franchise. It's like a franchise <laughs> of franchises. Um, really unprecedented when you think about it. Uh, so Captain America the Winter Soldier is a film that takes place in modern day rather than the 1940s set First Avenger. Right after the events of the Avengers, Captain America Steve Rogers is working for S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, as, a, I guess I guess you call him an undercover ops agent with Black Widow, played by Scarlett Johansson. Uh, Chris Evans reprising his role as Steve Rogers and, and uh, of course, working at the behest of Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury. And uh, after undercover, after going undercover for one particular very, very fun uh, French terrorist boat <laughs> mission that I can't wait to talk a little more about, um, they uh, they uncover that something may be rotten in Denmark regarding Shield, and it begets a giant chase film set uh, in a tone that's very similar to films like Three Days of a Condor or. Um, you know, the Manchurian Candidate movies like that. Um, it co-stars Robert Redford, I guess, as the... It's, he's not really the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., is he? It's more like he's part of the World the, Council. Yeah, he's part of the World Security Council. Yeah, he's like a secretary there. And uh, it also stars uh, a certain actor. I, I guess, is it even spoiler-specific at this point to, to, tell, to say his name? Uh, the actor that plays the Winter Soldier? I'm not sure. Out uh, of hell no, with the it. The cast was spoiling that. So. Right. <laughs> Sebastian Stan uh, playing playing the Winter Soldier, uh, who is a figure that's very important to Cap in his previous life prior to being thawed out uh, prior to the Avengers. So it's an interesting movie, a fun movie, and I got to say it's a movie that I thought was pretty darn airtight. But before I talk in any more specifics about the film, I'd really like to sort of turn the boat over to Harper since he wrote the review that you can find at geekrex.com about Captain America the Winter Soldier. Harper, I mean, we could read your review, but just in short, what would you think of it? I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I think this was Marvel's first step in a direction towards more um, kind of unique movies that take a look at a different side of the Marvel Universe instead of just kind of filling the formula with, okay, let's take out Iron Man and throw in Captain America here or Thor. Um, They they really tried it kind of a different genre with the political thriller, and I think they really succeeded. Um, Had really, really great action, really interesting character development, um, a nice uh, diversity of, of kind of uh, sequences and stuff. There's a little bit of science fiction thrown in here and there. Um, some big action pieces. A lot of a lot of um, quiet kind of spy storytelling and stuff. It's just really solid all around. Cal, what about you? Uh, I was a big fan. I uh, thought that it combined the whole '70s uh, conspiracy thriller type vibe very well with um, Marvel's kind of shinier aesthetic. And uh, one of my favorite things about the Marvel Universe is the way that they tend to do that, the way that each film uh, kind of shifts genre a little bit to 
more accurately match the character. But I think that uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier was far and away the most successful at that. And um, I honest, I can't wait to see it again. Uh, Shane, how about yourself? Um, pretty much to kind of reiterate what everybody else is saying, I, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun, even though I know that's Kyle's least favorite adjective for a movie. <laughs> but uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was very entertaining. Um, like Harper said, I love seeing them try a different genre. And uh, I love how, I guess Thor the Dark World doesn't fit in this as much since Loki was brought along or forced along. Um, I love how the Phase 2 films, at least with Captain America, Winter Soldier, and with Iron Man 3, they feel more intimate and like kind of taking a more intimate look at these characters and what they have to do when they're on their own and they don't have all those resources that they had before. And so I think it's great that they're examining that. And I was discussing with a friend last night, I love also how Winter Soldier has a lot of thematic ties to particularly Civil War out of what Marvel did and almost makes a Civil War movie unnecessary. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I mean, th- this is a movie that more or less plays with those 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 roles because I mean, the the major thing about Civil War is that it kind of pit, pitted the heroes against the other heroes, right? And I right. I don't see Marvel ever really doing that. I mean, no. turning Tony Stark into <laughs> the bad guy it just seems sort of like or this paragon of like conservative big brother style politics or something. I, I, that's not going to happen. So I, 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 I can definitely see what you're saying. Um, for my part, I, I agree. That's <laughs> what I say. Um, I mean, it, it's a, it's a really fun movie. Um, I, I, I never thought in my life I would see Batrock the leaper on screen. <laughs> and I did. And from then on, the rest of it could have been horrible, and I still would have thought it was a pretty awesome movie. <laughs> but it was it, that was just the great opening scene of a movie that I thought was incredibly tight. Um, and, you know, it, it certainly has its flaws, and we can get into those as we talk a little bit more about what we probably wish was done differently. But on the whole, I, I mean, it's a movie that, that has a really airtight, propulsive plot for the most part. Um, really cool, interesting twists. And, and the thing that I like best about the film, beyond the fact that I think Chris Evans is probably a master stroke of casting, uh, is this ability it has to connect to its previous film more so than The Avengers. Um, one of the things I noticed about Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World, you know, films that I have kind of varying opinions on, um, I, you know, liking one more than the other, whatever. Um, but they're very dependent on the plot of the Avengers, it seems, more so than the films that preceded them with uh, Tony Stark's uh, post-traumatic stress and uh, from flying in the alien hole and Thor and Loki's you know situation de- dealing with Loki's actions from the Avengers. Uh, with I feel like with the Winter Soldier, it was very specific to the first Avengers plot, more so than anything that happened in the Avengers. You got one or two mentions of New York, <laughs> almost kind of like you know it's kind of sort of like the nine eleven of that world, I guess. But yeah, that was really where it kind of stopped, and I really appreciated it for that because I like the idea of them setting up these things as their own standalone trilogies. I mean, when you read comics, you don't really. Um, 
you know, you don't read Captain America, then read the Avengers and read Captain America. No, you just want to read Captain America one, two, three, four, all the way through and hope that you get your own singular story. And that's something that I really, really liked a lot about the Winter Soldier because it felt like I could just see the first Avenger and then the Winter Soldier and maybe even skip the Avengers and still feel kind of okay about it. But I was enriched by seeing it. Uh, given that a couple of little plot threads showed up there first, too, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, okay, so in terms of, like, the uh, positives of the, on the film, like, the things we liked best about this movie, I know we, we you, when we talk about we're all pretty much uniformly liking this movie that we think is fairly strong. Um, Cal, I, I'm kind of curious, you know, what, what were some particular highlights about the movie that made you like it so much beyond just its thriller vibe? Well, um, and I'm, you know, I'm going to sound shallow saying this, but uh, up until the very end, the uh, action sequences in that movie were amazing. I mean, it was just the right combination of science fiction and Jason Bourne. Like um, there was an incredible diversity of action sequence. You got the Nick Fury car chase. You've got um the Terminator-esque confrontation with the Winter's first confrontation with the Winter Soldier, you really kind of, they, they really nailed the kind of down-to-earth, uh, down, like, street-level superhero vibe. And uh, they shot it fantastically. It was just, it was an incredibly exciting, just fast-paced movie to watch. And I'm used to really awful action sequences in movies nowadays. And so seeing like a mainstream blockbuster that had like really crisp timing, uh, you know, knew when to hold its shots and when to cut, it just warmed my heart. I mean, kudos to the Russo brothers, right? Who saw that coming, by the way? Um, <laughs> the most I mean, un- what, you, you didn't see you, me, and Degree? I, I, I did, unfortunately, on uh, <laughs> Stars at some point. Uh, and uh, I mean, certainly not, uh, I did not see that sort of, uh, I, I guess, personal imprint. I mean, just that sort of well-crafted filmmaking coming out of those guys. I mean, I, I enjoy Community a lot and Arrested Development a whole heck of a lot. But, wow, you know, it's uh, it's talent uh, sort of coming out of places you wouldn't expect it. It's it, The action sequences were definitely, I agree with you, a huge highlight. I love that scene uh, where Cap and the Winter Soldier are fighting out on the street and uh, they, you know, Cat, Winter Soldier pulls out that knife, and he's like throwing that knife from one hand to the other, and like catches it, and you know, is still trying to stab him with it. I just like, oh, this is such good, well shot action that I guess if you were to compare it to other superhero films, I mean, it, you know, the not so well shot action of like the Nolan Batman movies, it's almost unbelievable to compare the two. But it's like this is there's a lot of weight between these guys that are fighting rather than, you know, seeing some of the other Marvel films where it's like lasers and CGI things. It's kind of neat to just to see real hand-to-hand combat and a lot of guns too, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I've ever seen a Marvel movie with so many bullets fired, but I was definitely surprised by that. Um, but some people I noticed have been taken aback by that actually. Um, yeah, it was a pretty violent movie. I mean, all things considered, uh, that first action scene on the tanker when Cap hits someone with his shield, that looks like it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, that, that, that shield uh, is pretty pretty badass. I don't know how else to say it. Um, but, 
I though we have been debating how he hooks that shield to the to his back so easily. <laughs> it's like he slides it on. Don't question like, it. Well, yeah, it's like <laughs> it's just like it's, like it's like it's a magnet back there. Or something. <laughs> sure, um, magnets. That's it. <laughs> oh, the power of slash fic. Um. Anyway, the uh, I, I say so. Harper, how about you, man? What What are some positives that you carry away from Winter Soldier? Uh, I, I I also really like the action. That was one of the things I, I loved about it. I thought particularly the stuff on the boat in the beginning was. Uh, just super fluid and and felt very real, but also like like we said, like the you felt the force of those kicks and punches. It was really cool. But um, one of the things I wanted to mention for sure was uh, just Chris Evans as Captain America and Anthony Mackie as Falcon were utterly a joy to watch. Um, the, the two of them were both just so very so earnest and kind of charming. Um, and, and the chemistry between those two and really Scarlett Johansson to a slightly lesser degree, I think, um, the, that, that trio was just really fun to watch. They had some excellent chemistry between the three of them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely had like some of the better, um, better full cast acting. I mean, it had the best ensemble mm-hmm. work, which is probably pretty necessary considering Cap sort of split the split the spotlight throughout the film. Um, you had a lot of, a whole lot of, a whole lot of Black Widow, a whole lot of Anthony Mackie, um, and a whole lot of Samuel L. Jackson, uh, you know, up to a certain extent, which is very nice to see, by the way. Um, he actually has something to do for once in a movie, um, <laughs> which I was very excited about. So that definitely uh, is a heck of a highlight. What about you, Shane? Um, I'm trying to think of something that hasn't been said yet. Um, I think... This may be the strongest cast of a Marvel Studios film since the Avengers. Um, I think every single member of this cast was working really well for me. And I also love how the movie developed characters, just like you were mentioning. It develops Nick Fury and it develops Black Widow in ways much better than it did in Avengers and Iron Man 2. And it just it made those characters actually feel like people in these worlds instead of just Black Widow being the punchy lady that shows up and does stuff. And Nick Fury being the kind of all-seeing eye who controls everything. Like, it made them actually feel like human beings, like we know these re- the rest of these characters to be. And I'll go ahead and say it, since uh, everything else seems to kind of been talked about. I agree with the action and all that was just fantastic. But uh, that mid credit scene was... Uh, I know I've said a lot on this podcast how the mid credit scene in Thor 2 is one of my favorites. And it still is. But the mid credit scene in this movie is on par with it. Yeah, I want to actually talk about that mid credit scene by uh, towards the later part of this discussion, actually, because I think there's 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 stuff to be said about that um, and uh, sort of see how we what we think about it in regards to the history of these mid credit scenes. Or it's actually becoming a bit of an art in of itself, it seems. <laughs> I, I'm stunned by it, really. Okay, so for my part, I will say the most impressive thing beyond my favorite twist in the world. And I'm sorry, guys, this is so spoilerific. So if you haven't seen the movie, just I should have just warned up ahead, but cut this thing off. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm a huge fan of Jack Kirby, Captain America. And having Marvel Unlimited, I've had the opportunity to read a lot more of it. And being able to see Arnim Zola on screen yes. in his full fury. I mean, I just, oh my gosh. Yeah, they handled that character incredibly well. It was so neat. I mean, it's pretty heavy-handed exposition that he's laying out there. But it was so cool looking. Um, when the camera comes up, and I thought, oh no, I know what's happening. I know what's happening. And uh, then Toby Jones has like this 
perfect Arnim Zola voice. Uh, it just it it was so so fantastic, and I actually thought the plot twist there was really interesting. I'm sure it's not the first time this this sort of twist has been uh, incorporated into a sort of World War II style panic film, but this idea that Arnim Zola was brought into the U.S. government uh, and as part of Operation Paperclip. And, you know, the, it's sort of like in the Manhattan Projects, they brought in these Nazi scientists to work on the atomic mm-hmm. bomb and to work on, uh, you know, our rocket projects to defeat the communists and everything in the Cold War. Um, but instead, this idea that their own ideology was able to infect us actually was a pretty neat one that I, I'm sure is, is in some other film that I cannot <laughs> think of. But I thought it was pretty darn impressive here. Um Given all the exposition, I still thought it was great, and, it, and that was the one part when I when I walked away from that movie, I thought that was a really neat piece of plot. Um, additionally, I'm sold on Black Widow now, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> victory, Cal, That's victory. Right there, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was awesome. Uh, it's I mean, I didn't like her wig. No, but... <laughs> it's awful. That hair was awful. <laughs> It's like they they stuck up. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know where they got that wig from. But I hope they go back to Avengers hair next time, um, or just dye her regular hair. I don't understand. Um, but uh, I think those were like the two biggest things that I took away. That I thought, yeah, this is awesome. Um, I so let me ask you this then. I don't want to get into the negatives yet. Um, there's a question I have then around around Captain America. I'm not sure how you guys actually feel about the first one, and I didn't get a chance to to ask about that first. Um, do, I mean, do y'all generally have like a positive association with the first Avenger uh, prior to this movie? I mean, we all feel pretty well about the Winter Soldier, but the movie that preceded it, did you like that, Cal? Uh, I did. Uh, the first Avenger I thought was uh, good. It fell apart a little in the back half. I think montage action sequences are always a bad idea. Yeah. For sure. Um, but aside from that, I think for a long time, the scene that I would go to as my standout, like this is how you do characterization in an action movie was the uh, grenade scene in the first Avenger, uh, which just uh, perfectly set up who Steve Rogers is and why he should be Captain America in 30 seconds. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a very well-written film that fell apart a little, but was still just fun. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I do wonder why they had, uh, fake grenades laying around that fort, but (laughs) (laughs) we, it was the first thing I asked when we were rewatching it right before we saw Winter Soldier. I was like, why do they have those there? What what purpose does that serve? <laughs> I guess practice, I guess. But uh, and I mean, Shane Harper, you guys basically have have similar opinions about the first Avenger, or do y'all, or, or does somebody have like a, an overtly negative one about it? I, before I ask my question, um, no, not at all. Okay, no, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Too. It's, it's not my uh, favorite of Phase One. I think. I mean, if we're going to include the Avengers movies as the end of these phases and not like separate from them, I think the Avengers is my favorite of Phase One. But it's it's good. Okay, okay. So though, this is my question then. What is it about these Captain America movies? Because this could be a disaster in the making. You know what I mean? Like the idea of making a Captain America movie really carries a lot of risk, I think. Uh, You know, potential like jingoistic kind of, you know, this could be a really kind of 
uh, touchy film, especially for like a foreign audience. So what is it they're doing right? I mean, what Marvel Studios, I don't know if it's them. I don't know if it's McFeely and, uh, you know, the the other guy, <laughs> Marcus, uh, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Uh, I don't know if it's the directors. I don't know if it's the acting. What What is it that makes these Captain America movies so far uh, such a universally, like, well-regarded experience, it seems? Um, I mean, I don't know if anybody has any thoughts about it. I mean, in comparison um, to the other I think it's I think it's what makes any other comic adaptation work. When you're faithful to the source material, even if the general audience isn't familiar with the source material, the fact that you're being loyal to it, it's almost something people can kind of sense, I think, even if they don't know that's what it is. But it's so faithful to who that character is and uh, who he is as a person. And I think because uh, he might actually be the most genuinely nice superhero that's ever been adapted onto film because um, everybody else always has at least one kind of jerk thing that they do and uh, I think he's probably the most genuinely nice and genuine person that they've had be a hero and I think just being accurate to the character and um, I don't know I feel like I mean I can't speak for a foreign audience but I feel like they can look past that and they see how well he's not just propaganda for America and then they also I think it also the fact that it plays such a larger role in this universe especially Winter Soldier uh, to, to me I mean to kind of piggyback on that in, in a way um, for me it's Chris Evans with, without a doubt um, I mean it, it would be so easy for that character to be played to such a corny extreme I think um, and I think that's what people probably expected before the first one um, but he's just so earnest and genuine. Um, and he's not cornball at all. He's very, um, I don't know. He just comes across as a, you know, the kind of guy that, you know, you do, you would look up to, um, you know, that the whole idea of, of superheroes being kind of the ultimate role model or like what, what we aspire to be at our best. I think Captain America, when he's written really well, really gets that point across better than most. Um, and I think Chris Evans, somehow is able to to pull that through in a really believable way. I um I think there are a lot of moving parts. Like I don't want to undersell any one thing. I mean Evans is amazing in the role. Uh the writing's been very good. I th- I think that in part it's a little bit kind of um Captain America at his best uh I think avoids being jingoistic because he isn't how we view ourselves, but how we wish we were. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think for foreign audiences seeing this representation of, you know, I mean, yes, we fuck up. We do these awful things, but we want to be better. We we want to be like this helps. And I mean, even for us, we've seen so many in the last 20 you know, 20 years, our options for action heroes uh, have pretty much been either uh, grim, mopey assholes or uh, kind of like very milk toast. like there's no character there because they don't want to offend somebody. And uh, with, with Cap, they struck just the right balance of... Uh, he's someone who is trying very hard to do the right thing at all times. And even if he doesn't succeed, he's still willing to put up that fight. And that's something that audiences seem to really be responding to. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's sort of the... I, I, I mean, I keep seeing these articles now uh, comparing Cap to Superman, um, and I, I think you raised a pretty um, pretty, pretty good point, uh, Cal, um, when we were talking on Twitter a little earlier, was this idea that... Um, Oh, you know, Cap is the uh, is the movie that uh, they probably wished Man of Steel would be, was going to be uh, mm-hmm. in terms of its its feeling of hopefulness. And, I, and you know that's something Harper, you like Man of Steel, for example. Um, but that was, you, but you said that was the one thing that you felt was missing, right? I mean, when we when we yeah, talked I mean, about the movie before, Superman is very cold, and there's very little character development there. I mean, I wouldn't, I would I would love to see Man of Steel, Superman, and and Chris Evans Cap in the same room. I don't I don't I think the the room would explode. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I mean they're just totally opposite when they really should be pretty similar. Yeah, I, I mean I'm not using that as an excuse to, to crap on Man of Steel or anything. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I, literally, I just wanted to like sort of point out the thing that's coming up a lot, especially today. Now that a lot of audiences have seen this movie already, uh, is this idea that you know Cap is sort of displaying the qualities that we wish we were seeing in our in our Superman films. And even as somebody that likes the movie, I can admit, yeah, you know, I'd like to see some of that, some of that sense of hopefulness, that sense of of uh, uh, fun, you know. And there's that word <laughs> uh, that you know I, I sort of uh, wish was there, joy, joy, you know what I mean, exuberance. And that's something that uh, Winter Soldier just had in spades. Um, it's it's crazy to think about this, but I was talking with friends last night, and. Yeah, you I mean a lot of you guys know know a lot of my friends personally, so you know that we don't all agree on every single thing. Especially Harper, you've seen you've seen me and some of my friends disagree about things like Doctor Who and <laughs> Star Trek Into Darkness, and I mean just films that divide us geeks. You know what I mean? Um, but I, of all my friends, all the people that saw that movie with us the other night, everyone I've talked to, I have not found one person who has had overtly negative things to say about the Winter Soldier. It is literally like a movie I've seen everybody agree on. And, I, <laughs> and I'm not sure I've seen an agreeance like that since the first Iron Man. You know what I mean? Where we've li- where literally a movie has met the expectations that we were hoping it was going to have for the most part. There may be some, some you know reservations there but i mean i guess it's just this movie is just that well crafted i guess i don't know i mean have, have y'all seen anybody that's had anything negative to say about this movie at all Mm-mm. i've seen people tweeting about people that have had negative things to say but i've never seen an actual person that i talk to on a regular basis say something negative yeah there are some uh film critics some bloggers some i mean you know there's always someone who's not gonna feel it and there there are a lot of people who I've seen yeah. places like Twitter who um, think that still think that Cap is too square. You know, I mean, I think that probably there are some kind of jaded teenagers, that kind of thing, who might yeah, not. Yeah, I think jaded people in general, like people who are starting to treat this whole, I guess, I mean, people try to say superhero films aren't a genre, but let's face it, they're pretty much becoming a genre or at least a subgenre of action movies and or action and science fiction and yeah, I saw. I, I I do remember seeing somebody that we almost invited onto this podcast tweeting about how they're tired of superhero movies all having a save the world plot. And I was like, well, guess what comics are about? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, Debbie, that's that. I mean, this that, I, when we get to the negatives, you know, that's something I want to talk about. By the way, but 
Um, I, I mean, I've seen some of the some of the criticism against the film from like film critics that just don't get superhero movies in general. Um, and that's fine. I mean, that's if it's not your bag, it's not your bag. But even like the harshest critics I know, guys like David Ehrlich are like, you know, I don't love the movie, but Cap's probably the only Marvel superhero I even actively give a shit about. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that's kind of speaks a lot to, you know, the sort of how well-defined Cap is in these movies. I mean, it's it's kind of stunning, really. Um, it's it's just, it's it's really uh, a, a credit, I guess, to, to Marcus and McFeely and all those, to the team that works behind it. Even though the director has changed, um, they're sort of the constant that's sort of stuck behind. Um, I, the one thing, you know, I, I'm curious about, though, is it's interesting to me how the approach differs in these cat movies compared to the other films. And, and again, this is not me trying to get negative with anything because I want to stay positive here. But I, I can feel sort of the passion that Marcus and McFeely have for uh, Cap as a character and all of the little bits of mythos that seem to show up in that script along with the team they work with, be it Joe Johnston or the Russo brothers, that come from... The, the various points of Cap's mythology, be it the Kirby run, be it uh, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, be it um, things from Englehart, Steve Englehart, be it, uh, of course, the Ed Brubaker influence, and maybe some influences beyond that. Uh, it's something I just find very impressive, whereas, you know, compared to, like, Iron Man, for example, I, I'm not sure that they necessarily pull as much from the source material because, the, let's be honest, unless you're, like, a big Bob Layton fan, there's not a lot of Iron Man that's that's as, as attractive in terms of its source material. I mean, it's almost like they were influencing the comics instead <laughs> at, at some point. But I, I, I just, I've always found that very, very cool. And I, and I feel like it maybe strengthens these Captain movies a little bit because they are so adherent to the comics. Um, I mean, I don't know. Perhaps that's something that could eventually backfire. I don't know. I mean, if they ever do Dimension Z, for God's sakes. Um, <laughs> but I, it's something that I certainly I, I find myself liking a good deal. Um, so let me ask you guys. I know you all have all read the Brubaker Winter Soldier storyline. Um, do, do, do you think it was fairly faithful to Ed Brubaker's sort of take on Captain America? Or do you think that you know that was more just window dressing, maybe more for the... Uh, we'll say Jonathan Hickman style <laughs> shield story that may have really made the backbone for this thing. Uh, Harper. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think in terms of kind of tone, especially it, it follows it pretty closely. Um, I don't think it follows the, the specific story all that closely. Uh, and I think I'll get into, get into that with the negatives more specifically, but um, uh, the, just the tone of this kind of dark, um, spy thriller in general. I think they, they captured that really, really well. Brubaker's just way of putting that story together. How about you, Cal? Yeah, I think the, the key with Brubaker's run and particularly the winter soldier story is kind of, um, the way it functions almost as just one continuous deconstruction and then reconstruction of who cap is. I mean, he starts out that run, uh, which I, I just started rereading a few days ago for the first time in a couple of years. He starts off that run very cynical, very wounded, mm. and uh, slowly kind of builds himself back up from that uh, low point. And this movie captured that. Uh, it captured the feeling of who Cap is and what he's going through uh, at a low point in his life. Um I don't think it captured a lot of the narrative detail, but uh, 
which is funny given that it's called the Winter Soldier. But it, I think it was more the the character work that they took from Brubaker's run than anything yeah. else. Yeah. Um, and Shane, what about you before I say anything? Uh, yeah, I, I agree because it definitely – because the first thought I – first thing I thought of when you said – when you brought up this whole question of how it adapts to the source material is that Cap – I mean, yeah, he's a little bit moody and upset – in this movie, but not nearly as much as he is in the comic. And it's understandable because he's been back in the present for a little bit longer. I think it, I want to say it's 10 years. They say he's been back or something like that. Um, it's been about a month since I've read the comic. Uh, it's but, a sliding uh, Marvel timeline. It's kind of right, hard to right, say. Of course. Right. Um, well, in terms of that comic, <laughs> I think it's been 10 years since cap's been unfrozen. So it's been a little, I mean, it's probably only been about two to three years in winter soldier. So he hasn't had enough time to be hardened by, the 21st century. But, um, so I'd say that's the biggest difference, but I think, yeah, in terms of character, I think it doesn't take too much from the plot itself, except for the fact that who the winter soldier is and how he works and how he was being used. But I think the characters, particularly how the winter soldier and how agent 13 work are pretty accurate to what Brubaker did. Yeah. Um, (laughs) agent 13, Hannah asked me more questions about her afterwards. And then I explained to her, yeah, you know, she's uh, actually Peggy Carter's uh, great grandniece or something like that, or grandniece. Uh, and for she, some reason, they don't bring up. Uh, well, Hannah was like, "Thank God." <laughs> she was like, "That would be the worst plot twist ever." And I was like, <laughs> "Hannah, 1960s comics, babe. What can I say? <laughs> you somehow meet the uh, descendant of your former lover somehow, <laughs> and you fall in love with her instead." Um, hopefully that we'll, we'll see if that ever comes to play in a future cap movie. Um, but I just, it was just one of those things that kind of caught me as funny. So, okay. Negatives then we, we, we keep, we keep, you know, pussyfooting around it. Let's just go right into it. Um, so Cal, <laughs> um, what is the, if you, if you can give me a few if you want, but for a movie that we generally like, what would be something that you kind of wish they had done a little differently or could have adjusted? Well, uh, I know I know at least one person here is going to disagree with me because uh, said so already, but uh, they really need to stop with the save the world plot. They really need to stop with that. I, I mean, yeah, for sure. Uh, it wouldn't. I have nothing against it as a general trope until it gets used in every story, including ones where it doesn't really fit. Um, and here is one where it didn't really fit. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm about to go into a little detail about the, uh, last 15 minutes of the movie. So, uh, spoilers, I guess. Do but, it, do it, do <laughs> it. But, uh, so Hydra gets Operation Insight off the ground and you know what? The second that helicarrier is in the air, they've won. They don't have to do anything, but all of the sudden, because we need these big world saving stakes, Hydra's like, okay, we've got this giant, we've got this giant target on our back. Let's start killing American citizens. Like they tar, they're going to blow up the president. By the way, we're all on a watch list now. Uh, they're going to blow up the president, and I'm like, okay, so let's let's hypothetically say that Captain America fails to stop these things. If they blow up the president or just any three random American citizens, they're 10 seconds away from being hulked out of the sky. Like it it made sense to to go with the surveillance state uh, idea. 
And then they all of a sudden twisted it at the last minute to be a more generic save the world thing. And the writers have specifically said that Marvel kept asking them to go bigger and bigger with that finale than what they initially intended. And I think that that kind hmm. of like tacked on feeling really stuck with me. You know, you know what it sort of reminds me of in, in a way is the um, ending of Batman Begins. Like you have like a fairly, you know, calm, I wouldn't say calm, but you have like a fairly grounded sort of uh, superhero film in the crime genre with this. This is in like the political intrigue genre. And then it becomes about you know, the destruction of Gotham on that end. And this is going to be the destruction of the United States on this end. <laughs> and it's just huge, huge stakes that really just feel like they're they just come out of nowhere and just feel really out of sync with the rest of the movie. Um, even though I, I do actually, the, the actual plot device upon which uh, Hydra is utilizing makes more sense to me than like some mm. random thing, you know, there's then some MacGuffin, that that's, that's what I was going to say, too. Uh, I think you have S.H.I.E.L.D., which is, uh, even though Iron Man 1 acts like they're so secret that they don't even have really a name for themselves yet, by the time we get to Avengers, everybody suddenly knows who S.H.I.E.L.D. is. <laughs> but um, you have S.H.I.E.L.D., which is pretty much your NSA of the movie. I mean, a government organization that everybody's familiar with that has access to limitless things and has its tentacles kind of everywhere. And then, obviously, it ends up being something where its logos are tentacles, so it ends up being Hydra. And so I think imagine like if the U.S. government the whole time was really being controlled by the Russians during the Cold War, I think that would be something that would have worldwide implications to it. Sure. Uh, I, I agree. It definitely would, I think. But I think the, the difference is, is if it was controlled by the Russians, they would just let it sit there and spy <laughs> on American citizens of course. for the next 50 years. And we wouldn't say a word because they weren't hurting us. Right. Whereas Hydra basically had this like 50 year long world domination plan that culminated in, and then we're going to piss everyone off. <laughs> there, there is a great show on FX, by the way, Shane, that talks just about what the communists do when they have sleeper agents in the United States. Oh, that, uh, the Americans. Oh, or it's awesome. It is. Really? Oh, it's so good. Uh, it's one of my favorite shows on TV. Not everyone may agree with me on that, but I, I, was gonna say, I don't know if I've heard much about it. I, yeah, it's weird. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm Hannah and I have been in love with it. We've been catching up with it anyway. Sorry. Um, okay. So here's a question I have then about these Marvel movies. Um, how many of them have had huge save the world endings? Almost all of them. Or, I mean, which, which okay, one's let's, let's go with which one, which ones don't, um, Thor? Thor, Thor does not. The, the right. first Thor does not. Right. And, and really you could say the second one doesn't because they make pretty clear that the event with the things lining up is just localized in London and Midgard. Iron Man 3, all three Iron Man movies. No, Iron Man 3's got big stake plots, man. That's the, well, president, I mean the president. That's the, United, that's the president of the United States in the Iron Patriot suit. Um, being I guess, held hostage. but it's not like it was being broadcast to anyone because nobody even mentions it in Captain America. So, yeah. No, but keep um, in mind, the vice president was a terrorist. So if the president yeah. died, then the U.S. government would be run um, by okay, so, Yeah. Okay, so the first two Iron Man movies don't. Not really. They're more centralized to Tony. 
Um, Incredible Hulk doesn't. Yeah, Incredible Hulk has a more personal sort of fight. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's sure. So I guess Avengers and Captain America are really the only ones. I, Captain I would America, argue both Captain America movies. I don't know. It's it's also a question of like how you know the big ending doesn't have to be world shattering too. I mean, it still is like a huge, just massive fight. Like I think Thor: The Dark World is pretty high stakes third act yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, versus like the stuff that's going on in the small town in the first Thor. Uh, I mean, I, it feels like it's the kind of thing that's happening more often and not in their movies. And that's why I'm sort of agreeing with Cal's point. We're just seeing it a lot. Um, and it's also showing up in other superhero movies, too. So it's sort of like, God, at some point, somebody going to learn the lesson that maybe smaller stakes are not such a bad thing after all. I, I don't know. Harper, do you have thoughts on this issue? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have quite as big of a problem with it. I do think it's a, it's a minor pro- issue with the movie. But to me, it just, I mean... As much as this is a political thriller, it's ultimately a superhero movie, and that's kind of what people go to see when you go see a superhero movie is this gigantic uh, – you know, it doesn't have to be world-ending, but just the fact that there's three helicarriers and they're all you know blowing up and the sky is falling, that, that kind of stuff. Just these big sequences like that, I think people go to see that stuff, and I, I enjoy them, so I don't have much of a problem with it. So – <laughs> do, do the events of Iron Man 3 and Captain America the Winter Soldier happen at the same time, conceivably? Uh, Iron Man 3, I believe, I mean, is it's, six it's very months much Christmas. after. Yeah. Uh, the okay. Battle of New York and uh, Captain America 2 is actually two years later. Wow. Yeah, they tried, Yeah, they said it was two years, yeah. yeah. Even though I don't think they say it in the movie, they've said pretty clearly in interviews it's two years. I need and to see Thor is somewhere in between that six months and two years. I need to see a timeline at some point so I can kind of figure out how things are happening and when they're happening. Because I, I'm honestly surprised it's been the whole world-changing thing that people have made a big deal about and not the whole, oh, why didn't they call in Iron Man or Thor to help? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, it. I mean, I, I, I just wonder. It's like that. So there's two like big government plots. You had the vice president is a... I guess was he an AIM terrorist in Iron Man three, and with guess, yeah. with Shield uh, being invaded by Hydra or becoming a, an arm of Hydra somehow um, in, through Arnim Zola's actions in the Winter Soldier, I, you just wonder if they'll find a way to sort of tie those two events together. Maybe I know in the Jonathan Hickman Secret Warriors book that uh, a lot of uh, Winter Soldier's maybe pulling some of its ideas from at least that central conceit that uh, uh, sh- uh, you know Shield was Hydra all along. The uh, the aim was a part of sh- of Hydra, and so it just makes me wonder if that's the kind of thing that they may f- they f- may try to tie together. I mean, the president is involved in two major issues happening in the Marvel Cinematic Universe very close together. So I just start to wonder if that's something that will appear. Honestly, I don't even know if it was the same president when they listed his name in Winter Soldier. Uh, I think it was, yeah. Okay. I yeah, he's not getting reelected. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Okay, so, all right, uh, Harper, yeah, any negatives you want to list out? Yeah, the the biggest one to me is that I feel like the character of the Winter Soldier is, is totally wasted. Um, I think he's there as a, as a, a, a focal point for the action, but the reveal is totally empty. Um, and the, I mean, it just feels, and, oh, well, not, not to mention the obvious issue with the fact that he's a Russian agent and not a German agent. <laughs> um, but it just, I don't know, to me that, that plot had almost nothing to do with this. And yet they kind of use that as the focal point just in the action sequences. So when, when you do find out the reveal for anybody who possibly somehow didn't know <laughs> already, um, you know, it just feels very empty. And then the, the emotional 
um, arc that that provides in the comic, which is really, really compelling, um, just seems, you know, it just seems like they don't use it to its full potential here. That it almost they could have saved that for the next movie. That he could have continued to be this mysterious character, and in the third one, that's where we really kind of focus in he on still that. Still, kind of is a bit of a mystery, I would say, because not really. We know who it is. We know why he did it. Um, he's just out there now. Yeah, I, I I didn't notice on his arm. Did he still have the red star, or did they yep. change it? He did. Oh, he did. Red star. Well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> yeah. I mean... And that's just more being accurate for, I guess, because, you know, if it didn't have that red star, there somebody on the internet would complain about it. I don't even remember where he was found. So did he, like, when he fell off the train, was that in Germany? That was where he was pretty much found, wherever that was supposed to be. Oh, <laughs> Somewhere <okay>. in the Alps. <laughs> wherever that was. What, what I thought was weird was, was Captain America's own timeline it established because they talk about how, I think they say 1942 or 43 was when that happened to Bucky. And then Zola says when they captured me in 45, and it's like, we saw you get captured in Captain America five minutes after Bucky fell off that train. Yeah, yeah. Uh, boy, that's yeah, – I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused about, about some of the timeline stuff. Like I also was wondering how he lost his arm. That seemed a little arbitrary. Yeah, yeah it seemed like, oh, you fell a lot, so you, you <laughs> lost your arm. <laughs> Frostbite. He lost his arm. <laughs> a wolf ate it. I don't. Know. <laughs> it doesn't sound as good as not as not as convincing as a bomb going off. Yeah, ba- Baron Zemo uh, caused bomb on that plane. Uh, Can you imagine if they put Baron Zemo in that movie? <laughs> oh, it was amazing. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't put it against them at this point. I mean, this movie had Batrock the Leaper, yep. Baron von Strucker. Yep. Uh, it had. I mean. Okay, while we're mentioning that, let me put in my complaint because it's so oddly specific and related to the source material. Um, I never knew that was supposed to be Crossbones until I looked on Wikipedia after either. seeing the movie. I know, I had to tell all you, all you guys after the movie that I would all have you never guys guessed that. All it's like, what do you mean that's supposed to be Crossbones? He wasn't wearing any of his stuff, and he never said anything about being Crossbones. To, to me, that guy was just an annoyingly omnipresent uh, yeah. henchman. <laughs> Big army douchebag henchman. Y'all, right. what's, wrong, what's wrong with y'all? That's Frank Grillo. Man, Frank Grillo is awesome. He's well, awesome. I, I would appreciated them saying he was Crossbones and him acting a little bit like Crossbones. He didn't really do anything interesting here. I would bet you dollars to donuts that he is cross. He comes back as Crossbones in the next film. Probably. Yeah. This, this was. Oh, his don't tell me they're going to do the whole Red Skull's daughter thing. <laughs> this was his evil origin story. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> with like the burns and everything. Like, I don't think Crossbones is burned like that in the comics. I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Crossbones is a great villain. Uh, yeah. And I, 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 I liked him in this movie and I liked his presence because he's a very difficult villain to explain to like the non uh, comics audience. I mean, you got to get into his whole like greaser background up in like New York and how he got involved with like neo Nazism and how he got enthralled with the Red Skull and he became Crossbones. I mean, that's a lot of history. Just make him a, a fucking shield agent and it's gone <laughs> bad and it's much easier <laughs> um but I, I i loved him in that movie and i thought he was a pretty good uh, you know a pretty good foil uh for a good bit Although, of the film you know you make an interesting point with saying crossbones will come back there that kind of ties into some rumors going on about chris evans and how sebastian stan's nine film contract will come into play yeah, I mean, that's it. It seems that uh, time is probably more on Sebastian Stan's side for something like that. Um, that uh, you know, <laughs> certainly something worth talking about. Uh, you know, as maybe Phase Three and Four sort of shape up. Um, okay, so if I had one complaint about the Winter Soldier, 
I mean, it would probably be that ending because Hannah had to sort of explain it to me also, by the way, which is probably not good. I didn't quite like understand the algorithm thing. Um, maybe I was a little slow on the uptake, but I was like, wait, so they had an algorithm that could predict if you would be a threat? That's what yeah. happened? Um, I don't know. That was that was a little bit of comic book stretchy for me. Um, <laughs> not not the guy being in a computer. But, that, but, right. <laughs> no, that was awesome. That was great. That was so fun. I, I don't know. I had a good time with that. Um, but the algorithm, you know, it, it felt like the that was the MacGuffin of the movie, you know, and I hate I hate comic book movie MacGuffins. I hate the Aether. I hate the I hate the algorithm. I hate um what is it? Tony Stark's weird poisoning in Iron Man Two. You know, it just there's always something that's that they got to get rid of, like the mystery element that cures him of it that he finds in his father's blueprints. Oh my god, I can't even think about this movie anymore. Um, Iron Man Two. I need to throw it in a scrap heap somewhere. <laughs> but I guess that's probably my only real complaint about the film. Though I will say, I think the Falcon looks really stupid in live action. Sorry uh, if y'all disagree with. Well, me. he could have looked a lot worse because we know what he looks like in the comics. I know. I know. No. Um, I thought that worked really well, actually. And most yeah. people do. Consider, considering how convoluted the Falcon is in the comics, I think they did him pretty well. Yeah, I thought he looked great in the kind of more high-flying sequences, like on the helicarrier when he was, you know, diving off of it, you know, double-fisting the guns like he was uh, in John Woo. Uh, he looked great there, but on the more grounded action sequences when he was just kind of like hovering over the ground. He definitely <laughs> looked a little weird. Yeah. Like when he first shows up after he like drops Sitwell off, yeah. uh, that's, uh, it was almost like almost too much. I felt like I was watching like angel from the, uh, X-Men three <laughs> movie. It's like, whoo, I was not expecting that. Um, took me aback, but I got used to it during some of like the, the, some of the action sequences you were referencing the, you know, the one thing that I, about this movie that I wanted to sort of zero in on, it's, it's a positive for this movie, but a negative for the film that precedes it. There was, there's that scene that I guess they use as, they use as a flashback to sort of establish the Bucky cap relationship. And it's a scene where Steve has just come back from his mother's funeral and Bucky is there, uh, and they're they're about they're right outside of his apartment in Soho or wherever it is he's from like New Jersey somewhere I yeah, think Brooklyn yeah yeah one one yeah I, I, we'll we'll say Brooklyn he says Brooklyn in the first movie so okay. that's what I was just assuming so. Brooklyn kid then um and it's actually one of the more emotionally affecting scenes between those two characters that I've seen in either film and it makes me feel uh, so angry that they whiffed the Bucky Cap relationship so bad in the first mm -hmm. movie. Um, because if they had had more moments like that, I feel like that reveal of Bucky as the Winter Soldier would have uh, spoilers. Sorry, um, <laughs> would would have probably been better. I mean, it worked for this movie because I was about to say, did y'all have people in your auditorium that audibly gasped when it happened? Because almost half the auditorium I saw it with <laughs> gasped when it ended up being Bucky. Same here. I thought they made it fairly obvious with foreshadowing and just Winter Soldier that it was going to end up being Bucky. Oh, you so. mean you mean the Captain America Museum that gave you a voiceover that told you everything that happened in the first and, movie? Well, and how important, but how Bucky was the most important part of everything that happened in the first movie, and people were still shocked that Bucky ended up coming back. Well, I just can't believe nobody ever typed in the words Winter Soldier in Wikipedia. My God, <laughs> like be the first line is who he is. Well, like even the sneak preview of the movie that came on the Thor Blu-ray was. Uh, there's an interview with Chris Evans and he goes, oh, it's Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. Go ahead, Cal. 
Oh, I was just going to say, like, I, I, it, it blew my mind, like, uh, a few, a few months ago, uh, I forget what movie I was seeing, but there was this big moment that was advertised in every trailer <laughs> and it's still like it, everyone gasped, gasped <laughs> when this happened. And I realized like, I watch way too, like, I read way too many interviews. Yeah. I watch too many trailers, like a lot of people apparently go to see these movies without really any, yeah, w- without, you know, they didn't type in winter soldier because they didn't care. They were just like, Oh, it's a captain America movie. Sure. Yeah. I, I, th- I think there's more people like uh, that. I, than I, we think realize. I, have a, I have a feeling something similar to that will happen with Gwen Stacy and amazing Spider-Man too. <laughs> Although I will say something funny with that. I have a friend who is a kind of fashionista and, she sent me a picture of Gwen Stacy wearing the outfit that well spoilers yeah. for a movie that isn't out yet. Uh, uh, we we know the outfit, the one the one from a certain scene in yes. in a certain very famous Spider-Man comic. Yeah, and just from that outfit, she knew what was going to happen to Gwen Stacy and she has never picked up a comic book in her life. Wow. wow. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, you know, maybe there are certain things that carry more like pop pop, pop culture weight than, I mean, the you know, Gwen Stacy's death. I mean, it's not up there with like Uncle Ben dying, but maybe it's something that it a greater kind of is, though. Like, Mar- or at least maybe. Marvel tries to make you think it is. Maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, I'm I, like I said, I'm not really a Marvel. Say, you're not guy. a huge Spider-Man person. No, so. I'm definitely not a Spider-Man person. So yeah, Gwen, Gwen Stacy's death did technically define yeah. the end of the Silver Age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think it's just as important as Uncle Ben's in a lot of ways. All right. Well, there but you. then they bring Gwen Stacy back, and she has a baby with Norman Osborn. But whatever. So, <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, all right. So, but, so, but but comparatively speaking, the Winter Soldier is, is a fairly new concept, anyway. I mean, yeah. we're talking about something that debuted in two thousand four. So ten yeah. years ago, this thing showed up. So I mean, I guess I can understand why some people would not have been paying attention to the IMDb cast list, you know. Um, and I, I was very grateful actually because we had watched the first Avenger uh, before going to see the winter soldier and Hannah's brother, Daniel, and uh, a couple of our other friends that were also there with me and Harper. They had, none of them knew, uh, they did not know who the winter soldier was going to be. And I was so glad I did not say anything uh, <laughs> prior to that movie coming on. Cause I thought, God, I would have ruined the movie for everybody. Yeah. So apparently it is a pretty big spoiler. Uh, just not everybody is, is obsessed with this shit as we are. It seems, I guess <laughs> I just don't feel like that them. spoiler ruins the experience of the movie, but I don't know. I don't know. I can also understand not wanting to ruin it for people. I mean, the movie seems to set it up as a big mystery with all the masks <laughs> and stuff. I yeah. mean, they put eye makeup on him for no reason at one point. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he did have something covering his eyes. He had no reason to wear eye makeup. I don't, I'm like, it's nighttime. Why are you wearing <laughs> eye makeup? <laughs> well, and he had like, pretty much sunglasses on earlier in the movie yeah i i mean it, it, it just one of those oh, like, i loved uh sorry to interrupt you but i loved there were there were these people behind me who i could tell were somewhat nerdy i mean they caught the doctor strange reference and things like that which i thought was awesome but um when that first scene with nick fury happens with the big action scene where we first see the winter soldier and going into it you would assume everyone knows okay the movie's called the winter soldier maybe they've seen some previews with this mysterious guy with a metal arm he shows up and the guy sitting behind me goes who's that 
<laughs> like, I, I wonder. I wonder who that could possibly be. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I've, I heard somebody else say something very similar yesterday uh, in their their screening of, of Winter Soldier as well. So it's that that may be a bit more of a widespread problem. And that speaks to how poorly plotted Bucky's arc was in the first movie. Yeah. It's the only I, I think, major yeah, flaw of that movie. It speaks more against, yeah, I, I agree with you. It speaks more against uh, the first movie than it does this one. Yeah, I mean that's and I and after reading the Winter Soldier comic because I read it for the first time about a month or month and a half ago, and uh, I man, I wish they had gone back and done Bucky more closely to how he was in the comics. Yeah, uh, it, it makes you wonder what the planning stages were for for this movie. I mean, it's the there, same. There had to have been some discussions about do we make Bucky this awkward Robin like sidekick? I don't know. Um, I, I mean, they, maybe they thought they'd never make a sequel anyway, so they didn't care. <laughs> but it's one of these things where I mean, did did, did was it a Marvel saying, "Oh, we're going to make a Winter Soldier sequel now"? That's what this film I mean, needs to be called, I mean, and you write a movie around it. Had to be in the back of their minds because, yeah, I, I think that had to be like. Looking past Avengers, they had to think, well, what could be our next Captain America story? Right. But but, but what's weird about it is, and I don't know, maybe, you, again, you disagree, but you could maybe take the Winter Soldier out of this movie and not much would change, right? That's my argument. Yeah, you totally could. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, I, I love it. I feel it. like he doesn't play, like, I don't know. I, I might have to reread the comic, but I feel like he was a pretty background role in the comic until the last four issues or so. Like, cause that's a, that's a 14-issue arc, and the Winter Soldier is very much so a shadowy kind of figure in it until the very end, which is pretty much how he is in this movie. Right, he doesn't become a starring feature until, really, the death of Cap. I mean, he sort of shows up a little bit during Red Menace in between yeah. the two, but mm-hmm. Captain America is his big coming-out story, um, and it's by then he's he becomes Captain America, so... Uh, it's a, that, but yeah, I, Harper, I think you're dead on. I mean, it, it, it really is like two separate plot lines. That I mean, they mesh them as well as they can, but you, you wonder, is, that, is it the kind of thing that the studio said, you need to put Winter Soldier in this movie? And they just forced it in. I don't know. If you're going to write a modern-day Captain America movie, wouldn't that be one of the source materials you'd look at? I'm I'm a little curious as to if if that role was more fleshed out in their initial draft. I mean, if if that final action sequence was much smaller initially, what did the bloat Mm. take the place of? Yeah. You know, like uh, that, that that's something that was on my mind when I was watching that last sequence is how much better would this be if it was focused on exclusively on the Cap and Bucky relationship? Which I guess that what that's what we are open to with the third movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Harper, were you about to say something? I heard you in there. I was just going to say, I, th- I think they, they didn't have a, a physical villain to the movie without that, without him. Yeah. Um, they just needed somebody that could go toe to toe and actually provide action sequences. I mean, we're gonna better with right. Thor too, though. Whether or not we had an right. actual threat, <laughs> right? But we're not going to see uh, Captain America, you know, punching Robert Redford in the face or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, hopefully that's what Crossbones and uh, a robot body Ar- Arnim Zola will be for uh, <laughs> in future films. I, I, God. I mean, it'll be it'll be great if we could get like robot body Ar- Arnim Zola guys. I'd rather Red Skull come back. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> No thanks. No thanks, man. Red Skull sucked. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's actually the worst part. One of the worst parts of the first Avenger. He's pretty me. much an Indiana Jones Nazi, is what he was. Yeah. I mean, I like Hugo Weaving. Not not a well fleshed out villain though. It, it literally was like 
uh, you know, about as poorly fleshed out as the Golden Age version of the Red Skull is, <laughs> for 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 my money anyway. Okay, so let let's uh, let's let's uh, rank this thing and then put a grade to it. Um, so Shane, where in the uh, rankings for your Marvel films, you don't have to list them all out, but where would you put Captain America: The Winter Soldier at this point? And what grade would you give it? Um, I'd I'd like to say it one more time just to make sure that this is how I do feel about it, which I know is a weird thing to say, but um, uh, right now, Avengers is my favorite Marvel Studios movie, and I think it's actually right on par with Avengers for me. Nice. Very cool. Um, And what's your grade for it? A+. Nice. Okay, Harper, I know we've uh, got your review with your grade, which I think you said was an A-, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, where, where would you rank it amongst the rest of the Marvel films? It's unquestionably the best one for me. Ooh, big, big talk from Mr. Harris. Uh, how about you, Cal? What do you think? Uh, definitely top three, possibly top two. I'll have to rewatch it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, Iron Man three is tough to beat, but, uh, I don't, I don't think it's going to approach Avengers level for me. Sure. Um, Avengers is my unquestioned number one. Yeah. Uh, this is fighting it off with, uh, Iron Man 3 for number 2. Right on. And what, what would be your grade for this one? Probably an A-. Yeah, an A-. Yeah, I, I'm going to do the same. I mean, it really, it's just that third act uh, explosion <laughs> that uh, kind of kind of takes it down a couple notches for me. But it's still in the A- range. I mean, it, it's a shockingly fun film. I mean, it's really good, really well written. And, uh, you know, I put my rankings online, but I also put it at the top. Though I, I, That I, was I, a great write-up you did. I know I told you I don't <laughs> agree with everything you said in it, but that uh, that was... I think that's your best article you've done. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, it was tossed off on a day when I probably should have been wor- working more. Um, don't tell my job that, though. Um, yeah, the uh, I-, I will say that there's still a push, though, for me with Avengers and the first Iron Man. Um, I have a lot of affection for the first Iron Man especially, yeah. um, mainly as a wonder of acting, really, more than anything else. And uh, Avengers, we rewatched it recently, and give or take a Mark Ruffalo, I, I, I quite like it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, 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 it's really a, ba- a back and forth kind of fight between that and and this Captain America: The Winter Soldier. So, so yeah, we want to talk about the mid credit yeah, scene yes, real let's quick. Let's talk about this. All right, so we had a mid credit scene. We also had an end credit scene. Which, you know, I, I don't think the end credit scene is worth staying for at all. It has more it really, substance than the one at Thor 2, though. Well, let me just say the end credit scene probably should have been uh, attached to the end of the movie, not right. the end of the credits. Um, but the mid credit scene, directed by Joss Whedon, is a bit of a lead-in to Avengers Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. uh, where we get a chance to see sort of the next step uh of uh where hydra may be which is in one of their underwater bases with uh, our friend baron von strucker played by thomas kretschman and uh i can't remember if he even had his eye patch or not i but I, I, um, I, I, I don't think so yeah so he may have been eye patchless <laughs> maybe he, he also didn't have his awesome claw um <laughs> well he's got like a seven movie t- contracts so maybe it's coming anyway we get we also get introduced to our next avengers presumably in quicksilver and scarlet witch played by aaron taylor johnson and elizabeth olsen uh they're in a cell and he refers to them as the beginning of the age of miracles uh which may be their 
code word for mutants. I don't know. So how much? How excited does this get you guys for Age of Ultron? Uh, or awesome. <laughs> or and you know what? Where the Marvel Cinematic Universe may be headed? Well, in the you're also phase uh, three. there's also the whole fact that Hydra also has an Infinity Gem and that they have Loki's staff. <laughs> So. Yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this could be Easter eggs. It could be something of worth. Who knows? Um, so, Cal, th- does it get you pumped for this next Joss Whedon joint? It definitely does. I mean, uh, I've I've really loved uh, Elizabeth Olsen ever since Martha Marcy May Marlene. And uh, so I was excited to see her cast as the Scarlet Witch and who is a character that I've loved since I was young. And uh, seeing her for the first time was a joy. I like these teases that they do. Uh, really, my only complaint with it is that uh, that really belonged at the end of the credits. That, and I had the same thing with the Thor one. The scenes that they put at the very end of the credits clearly belonged as the mid credits one. <laughs> but they didn't want anyone to walk out before the ad for the next movie. Right. And uh, it disrupted the flow, but I got to see the Scarlet Witch in action, which is something 18 year old me would be geeking out about for the next decade. Like right about (laughs) if I went back in time, I would just now be finishing uh, that epic geek out session. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I was I I was pretty happy. Uh, Harper, how about you, man? Uh, does, it, does it make you more interested in the films coming up, or is it uh, just another one of these credit sequences? No, I think this one's one of the more exciting ones. Um, I, I, I kind of like that they, they throw in the um, Loki's staff in there. When you first see that, it's just like, oh, for God's sakes, we're never going to drop this Tesseract bullshit. Um, and, but then they move on to something obviously much more exciting. And and me as an, as an X-Men guy, you know, seeing some – genuine mutants show up in a Marvel Studios movie is, is pretty exciting, even if they can't call him that. <laughs> um, and it, it also, he's not eating a Carl's Jr. hamburger, um, which is a great, uh, great, a great. Apparently I haven't quick... seen what everyone's talking about with that. So uh, I'm going to have to look that up. <laughs> uh, it's not a good start. Uh, <laughs> Shane, you got anything else to add on? That? Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, all I really have to say is I'm excited and, um, I love that Marvel got those two on the screen before Fox could. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. I didn't think about that, but they did beat Quicksilver. Their Quicksilver it beat uh, X Men's Quicksilver, which um, is that not a thing I Maybe consider. Why they rushed that Carl's Jr. ad this week? So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That, that's a good point. Wow, this is a, such a weird situation we're in. Um, yeah, the. I, I will say I think it's one of the more organic credits credit sequences as well where I feel like it actually sort of enhances the plot a little bit. We now mm-hmm. see like the real head of Hydra. Like, I mean, you, you would assume with the death of uh, Alexander Pierce at the end of uh, The Winter Soldier that that's well, that he must have been the head of Hydra. That's the end of it because Arnim Zola supposedly died. We know he's not dead, but he supposedly, quote unquote, died with that um, room that was probably what a gig of memory with all these tape <laughs> machines. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, my friend Oasis could have opened up Microsoft Word with that. <laughs> Credit to my friend Oasis. He gave me that joke last night. 
night. So I'm gonna I'm gonna credit him because I know he's probably listening. Um. So anyway, seeing Baron von Strucker on screen sort of underlined the fact that yes, that is Hydra. That is the guy that that presumably <laughs> runs the organization. Actually, they don't they don't more or less say that, but you know, us comic book nerds, we know. So it's just kind of nice to see that next step and that this Hydra thing ain't over. Uh, which makes me pretty happy to to note. And I liked um, I, I like Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch. I think she's mm-hmm. a fabulous actress. Aaron Taylor Johnson looks good. Um, I can't say much for his acting really, but he uh, he certainly will probably be a better uh, physical uh, presence as Quicksilver than uh, his counterpart Evan Peters in X Men: Days of Future Past. So yeah, no, that's fine. I have some worries about Scarlet Witch a little bit. I know she's a fan favorite for some, but for me, she's always sort of a, a, a Deus Ex Machina. Um, sort of wipe the plot away kind of character. And I'm a little worried that that might be the case here. Uh, I hate for her to become this sort of uh, uh, River Tam of Avengers 2 if for you Firefly fans or, uh, you know, whatever you know character I can think of from Joss Whedon's Angel, I guess Fred or somebody like that who became Ilaria or whatever that character's name, Ilaria. Uh, Illyria, I can't remember. Somebody's going to correct me on that. But I hate to see her become like the sort of quiet, ultra-powered, we'll be able to solve the whole plot by the end of the movie character. Because I feel like that's almost like a trope in the Joss Whedon side of things. But, you know, maybe you guys who are just as familiar with Whedon's work can can dissuade me from that notion in the end. Um, It's hard to say until we see the movie, I guess, right? So with Captain America being such a success, by the way, this weekend, it it looks like we're probably going to be looking at a a very, very big overseas hall and domestic hall Mm -hmm. for the film. It looks like it's probably going to have some legs given how spectacularly strong the word of mouth has been. I have a hard time believing that movie's not going to be number one for at least, you know, it's going to be number one until for at least Spider-Man. three weeks. Uh, until Spider-Man comes out, exactly. Uh, and that and that was timed very well uh, due to Marvel Studios' efforts, actually. And I guess also it sort of shows that they can open a movie just about any time. I mean, I mean, they... It almost opened, makes you wonder why they're going back to May with the Avengers 2. I mean, they, they could open that in January and it would probably still make a ton of money. I mean, I, I think they're showing that these arbitrary release dates just don't matter. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd say look for Guardians to possibly break some August records. I wouldn't disagree with that at this point. I mean, they seem bulletproof. Uh, Cal, I know you had some concerns about uh, the Guardians' August release date. Does event does a uh, Captain America's April uh, success so far dissuade you from that at all? Uh, not necessarily. Just because my concerns about uh, the Guardians' release date has less to do necessarily with, um, uh, I guess, with the August release date. Although that's a little more competitive. I think than uh, than it would be if it was pushed back to say September. Right. But I think my my biggest concerns with it is is more just uh, although Cap did alleviate some of those is just the our audiences really going to accept kind of a <laughs> lighthearted space opera like that's. Everybody laughed at the trailer when I when I saw it. So at least there was that. (laughs) Yeah, same here. I like I'm 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 pleasantly surprised. I'm just nervous because that's such a played genre to so many people. But then so I mean, we just had a Captain America movie that has already made three hundred million dollars worldwide. And it's been out for like a week. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, that's. Uh, I think. Nuts. I, I think if they promote enough, like they've already got the fans hooked, they need to quit with the marketing for Guardians. That oh, hey, fans, we're 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 looking out for you. I think now it's time to tell the general public, okay, this is your last movie before Avengers Two. You need to go see this. Um, I I, I do I do have I, I've heard a little bit from some of my friends too that 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 had the Guardians trailer in front of their showing, and there were some pretty positive reactions from a lot of people including one person who said, I heard a guy that said, a raccoon with a gun? Hell yeah! So um, I get the feeling that this might go over pretty well. And, um, you know, it's, that's cool, it's certainly man. getting better reactions than that Ninja Turtles trailer. So. <laughs> right. Um, Which is to say, any and reaction say at all. Somebody, and I say that as somebody who actually is somewhat excited for that movie. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, let's talk about Cap's success then and the fact that it's leading to a sequel. Um, So we know officially Captain America 3, whatever it's going to be called, I don't know, we'll we'll just assume that it's Cap and Falcon on the road doing something. (laughs) Um, Cap and Falcon, a love story, um, is going to be taking on its own love story, Batman Loves Superman, um, (laughs) on May 6, 2016. Now... So here's my open question and question to you here, guys. Who's gonna blink first, Harper? DC. Who's gonna who who's gonna move? Or are they gonna both open on that date? I mean, I think they both could. I mean, it's a I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I don't I don't claim to know the machinations behind release date craziness. <laughs> um, I mean, Cal and I were chatting about this a little bit this afternoon. I mean, I, I mean, it seems to me like it's a giant mistake for Warner Brothers to do this. There's no way they can win. I mean, there's literally no way. Um, I don't know. You're talking about Batman and Superman. I mean, even re- people don't think about the previous movies. I think they're thinking about, oh, my God, it's Batman and Superman together. I think that that enough is a spectacle to make it regardless of whether the movie's any good. Hey, Cal, yeah, talk to me a little bit about, about some of the things that you and I were talking about. Because I don't disagree with Harper here, but I think you rose, raised some salient points um, regarding uh, this this Warner Brothers possibly needing to move this thing. What did you think? Well, I mean, honestly, uh, and excuse, I guess, a little bit of vulgarity, but uh, Marvel's got a bigger dick right now. <laughs> and I don't think it's afraid to swing it around, swing it a bit. I they don't need Captain America to blow everyone out of the water. They've proved they can, but they don't need <laughs> it to happen. Whereas, I mean, because, I mean, Cap, even if Cap it only does okay, a year later, there's Avengers 3, and they're going to get a billion dollars anyway. It doesn't matter. DC, or Warner Bros., I suppose, needs Batman vs. Superman to not just do well, but to but to be the talk of the world for at least a month, because that's what they want to launch their entire superhero universe off of. And I mean, as much as, you know, name is important. I mean, Captain America, the Winter Soldier in one week has grossed almost as much as Batman Begins did and its entire theatrical gross. And it's grossed half of what man of steel did in its entire theatrical growth. I mean, like the winter soldier has been a surprise powerhouse and I wouldn't be shocked if Warner bros was really scared about that. I I think DC I'm looking right now on Wikipedia 2016 in film. Um, the only movie that has an April release date is a remake of the mummy. And 
in theory, like if they wanted that month of people talking about it that Cal is talking about, which I, I agree, I think that's what they need. They don't want to move it up a week, like to the end of April and then have Captain America just blow them out of the water the next week. I think what they should do is move it to the beginning of April. And I think it will be DC that moves. I think Marvel's not going to move that date at all with Captain America. So I think if they move it to the beginning of April, that allows both of them to be pretty relatively large hits. I just don't think Warner Brothers has the balls to do it. I mean, I think they're 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 de- they definitely are trying to show their uh, you know their nuts by having a, a showdown with Marvel. But I, I don't apologize think- for starting that. By the way, I, 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 now, now for, I have a whole thing going here. It, um, it'll be good for headlines, but that's about it. Well, I mean, but, but to, I don't I don't think they're willing to take the risk to move a movie to April like Marvel has done. I mean, I just I, Warner Brothers is such an old school studio. Typically, when Batman, like Cal made the good point. Batman and Superman are very well known characters, so universally recognized. So I don't know. <laughs> I but mean, Ca- yeah. Captain America: The First Avenger wouldn't have done very well in April, but Captain America the Winter Soldier can because now they've seen Captain America in two other movies. Right. Absolutely. Um, And so it becomes a question of, I guess, will quality win out? I mean, if those movies open at the same time, like Cal said... They're just going to hurt each other, really. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's true. I mean, you will all do a double feature, sure. Of course. I mean, yeah. for the most part. I mean, unless it unless this movie looks like a disaster, if it looks like the Iron Man Probably two. Probably still will though. <laughs> I mean, maybe we'll see. Um, but I mean, I have hopes for it. I, I want all these movies to be good. So yeah, I mean, but the general public will not. They will pick one or the other, and that's that's what's going to happen. And they're probably going to pick the one that they had the most fun at recently. Um, I mean, unfortunately, I don't hear a lot of kids saying they had a lot of fun at Man of Steel. So, I mean, truthfully, it's just the way it is. So, um, you know, Captain America, it look it's looking like the replacement Iron Man, if you ask me, um, depending on how long Chris Evans sticks around. So that's 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 something that they probably were not counting on. And Thor's grosses aren't too bad either. So it's just a matter of, uh, you know, which which Marvel film it would be safe to open near at this point. And I'm just not sure it, that, that they may have anything. I think that Marvel's so bulletproof that uh, it's, it kind of makes everybody else look sort of bad by comparison. I mean, if Guardians makes 600, 700 million in its first film, uh man, I mean they they could do Doctor Strange, Black Panther, whatever they wanted to do at this point, and I I just think I I I honestly believe that you're probably going to see the folks at Warner Brothers not move forward. I think you're going to see them move backward, and I think you're going to see them attempt to probably reclaim sometime in July, um if not their their exact July like 18th 19th date that they always take. I think you're going to see them probably at least try and secure some time in that time of the month because I think they're just so typical and so traditional that they try to stick to the summer tentpole season. Um, but it would maybe that'll be a sign of weakness, though, if they switch it. I don't know. It's hard to say. Hey, the ball's in their court because Marvel ain't moving. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, all right. Other question for you guys is this. When we left the Winter Soldier the other night, the first thing Hannah actually asked me, and this was like, I did not expect her to ask me this. She said, I wonder what's going to happen with that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show now. And I thought, God, I don't know. That's a good question. What is going to happen with that show? I mean, because it's a show that I haven't paid really that much attention to. I tried to catch an episode every couple of weeks. You know, I, I watched the episode where Sif appeared from mm-hmm. uh, the Thor films. And I watched um, the, the episode that that Cree thing showed up in. Um, and I've, I've tried to catch the stuff that came earlier and, and it's all kind of terrible. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, it, it just, oh, it is. It, it's not very good. Um, and it's probably the one thing that, I mean, you, we can, even though most people tend to agree that Iron Man two is probably their worst movie. Some people might say the Hulk or whatever. Um, the incredible Hulk, but everyone pretty much agrees that agents of shield has been Marvel studios, quote unquote, those more Marvel televisions, biggest failure, um, from a critical perspective and maybe even from a populist perspective as the ratings continue to decline. So I guess my question is, does the, do the events of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, make you more interested in watching this film? And Cal, you wrote a really fascinating article about this very piece. So <laughs> I'd love for you to sort of address that question first. Uh, well, uh, one thing that I actually learned recently is that while the showrunners knew what was coming with Captain America, the Winter Soldier... Uh, the cast actually did not. Yeah. And so they were all pretty surprised to learn that S.H.I.E.L.D. was uh, no longer employing them. Uh, that said, assuming tomorrow's, or I guess uh, when this airs, assuming tonight's episode um, manages to play off the momentum that last week's episode built, because last week's episode is very much almost... Uh, prequel to this i mean it, it yeah uh it even featured uh jasper sitwell who was a major player in this movie uh in a small role as someone who's a little shady and uh if they managed to keep building off that momentum i think this is what the show was waiting for i mean it's been dragging its heels it's done uh dramatically speaking it's done very very little in its first 14 hours on the air and it wasn't until last week when they finally started kicking all of their plots into high gear that the show found a little momentum and hopefully they'll continue with that momentum on into the free fall that cap has led them into so i think cap opened the door whether or not the iffy talents of the writing staff can take them through it is another question, but for the first time, the potential's there. Yeah. Yeah. Shane, I know you watch the show pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. So what, what are your thoughts, man? Um, I'll say pretty much uh, like I'll echo what I said on Twitter and then I'll kind of go in a little bit more in depth, but, uh, basically I think the show is pretty mediocre to be quite honest. I agree with Cal completely that it has improved and it started to show potential mostly because it took these plots that were just dawdling around for 14 episodes and finally kicked them into high gear. Um, although I did enjoy the Sif episode quite a bit, um, which is probably the first time since the pilot that I could actually say I enjoyed an episode. <laughs> but um, I, I feel like I can understand a lot of the complaints of the people who hate the show um, there are a lot of complaints that people make about it that I'm just like, well, you're, I think you're just complaining now to the point of just to have something to complain about. But I think there are a lot of complaints about the show that are very, uh, very applicable and very true. Uh, but when it comes to the people who are hardcore defenders of the show, and unfortunately because I follow Clark Gregg on Twitter, I have to see it every single week. Um, him retweeting people that talk about how it's the greatest show ever and people should feel bad for giving it up. And I'm just like, I don't. I can understand some of the haters. I don't understand the people that defend blindly defend it at all because the show is very mediocre. Now, that being said, with everything going on in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, of course, I'm going to keep watching it just because I am interested to see, starting with this week, how that gets addressed and who among them, if they have uh, to continue with our uh, metaphor, if they have the balls to show who in one of their team, if they can kill off one of their team because they were a member of Hydra or something like that. 
then I might have a bit more respect for the show. But honestly, walking out of Captain America, the Winter Soldier, I thought about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. And my thought was, was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. planned all along to be a one and done kind of thing? Well, that would be awesome because I hate yeah. that cast. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't stand that cast at all. But Harper, are, are you – I mean, you've been checked out. I mean, I, I don't know. Are you going to check back in by chance? Uh, no, not not really. Um, I mean, I'm interested enough to, to hear, to ask somebody <laughs> what happens to the show. <laughs> Maybe. That, that's about um, how but, I stand with Walking Dead right now. I'm, gonna, I'm interested enough to Google what happened. But to me, it's just, I mean, the, the budget's too low. The cast is, is not very good. The, the writing is corny as hell. Um, the budget's just, too low is a good critique. That Deathlock costume last week was awful. Yep. Yeah, it looked like from Party City. Half the, of the, the Party City costume. The Fantastic Four costumes looked better in the Tim Story movies. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even interested in the slightest. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I, 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 the problem for me is that I think the replacement cast, like these new guest stars they've been bringing in, are a million times better than their oh, actual yeah. core cast. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if if they were to say, if they, if they said, hey, Kyle, we're going to replace everybody except Clark Gregg. We're going to make him a supporting guy like he's supposed to be, um, <laughs> not a leading man, which he cannot pull off. And we're going to replace him with Bill Paxton, uh, Patton Oswalt, uh, let's see, uh, Kobe Smulders, and, uh, yeah, I don't know, somebody else, like Titus Welliver. And that's going to be your new Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. I'd say, yeah, I think I'll watch that show more often, especially if Jamie Alexander can make a couple of appearances here and there. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be down for all of that. Um, but, I mean, we're stuck with, uh, you know, Pex McThrusterson and, um, his, uh, and uh, you know, the boring Magic... Joss Whedon twins. Right. And, and, and uh, you know, the hacker, uh, well, I, I was going to say something much cruder. I won't say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the ma- Magic Hacker Girl. Um, <laughs> that's what I'll say. I'll, the, the the character that we're supposed to love, but no one seems to love her. Really, supposed to be interested in how dark her past is. <laughs> I mean, we're stuck with some pretty uninteresting characters, frankly. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that makes me really struggle to care about. And I, I'm sorry to say this, but a horribly miscast Ming Na. I mean, she's like a poor man's Black Widow. Um, so it, it's very hard for me to like kind of glom onto this show because I don't care about like any of the any of the actual yeah. central characters, but. The replacement characters, I'm kind of into. I mean... Uh, yeah, Bill Paxton has, is actually my probably favorite character on the show, and that's pretty sad considering he's only guest starred twice. But I did catch up, Cal, with uh, last week's episode. I watched it right before we started recording. Um, and, I mean, it's, you know, it's not still not great, but it has like a, bit, a little bit better pacing, I think. Um, like there's a sense of story progression that made it a little more exciting. That scene where Deathlock like jumps off the stairs or whatever and lands <laughs> on the ground was horrible. I mean, I just tear I, J. August Richards, man. I, I, it, I, I, it's an ugly show. I mean, and I don't even think it's the budget. I mean, I, I honestly think that it's the light, like it's almost exclusively the lighting and the way that they're framing everything. It's just... It looks like a Mexican soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it reminds me of Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. Um, and, you know, and that's a movie. That's a show from like 1991. Uh, I mean, it's using the, the 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 same sort of like lighting cues, the same sort of like set design, uh, and unfortunately, some of the same type of writing talent. Um, I'm just waiting for like Delta Burke to show up at some point uh, to <laughs> really round out the cast here, but. I mean, with that said, 
Hannah and I watched a little bit of this episode and we were genuinely interested to, you know, to see tomorrow's episode uh, when it airs at uh, you know, whatever, eight o'clock or whatever on ABC, um, because we want to see, is there going to be real fallout from the Winter Soldier? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're like hooks on, we're like fish on a hook here, you know? <laughs> I mean, seriously. And, and, and that's, I guess that's the power of what a good movie will do. It makes you want to watch something that you're genuinely not that interested in. Um, that, but perhaps it'll make it better. It's like the abused housewife, man. I, just, <laughs> I keep coming back, you know, terrible analogy. I realize, but I'm, uh, I, I'm honestly probably going to watch it tomorrow. I, I have to say, um, uh, how Harper, I'll tell you what happens. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Welcome, man. You know, I mean, look, it, you know, it, it's it's about like Arrow to me. They're all the same at this point. So there, no, no, none is better than the other. Um, despite what some of my friends say, I do not think Arrow is <laughs> better than Agents of Shield, guys. Um, to, just to put my DC, uh, f- you know, fan fandom on display there. Um, okay, so. That is our look at Captain America, the Winter Soldier. You can see it in theaters right now, and we do suggest you do so. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see what uh, happens with Phase 3 as it comes around, and hopefully we'll see some pretty cool announcements very, very soon. In the meantime, we'll have a uh, one of our book reviews next week, and then after that... Uh, will be it'll be really interesting because Harper's going to be at C two E two and I can't wait to hear about all the fun people he gets a chance to meet. So maybe we'll get uh, a little bit of a rundown on what happens in Chicago from the man himself. Anyhow, I'm Kyle, and uh, this was uh, episode forty five of the Geek Rex podcast. Um, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, bye, Cal. Bye, Harper. Bye, Shane. Farewell. See you later.